Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Reporter, the podcast that delves into the minds and practices of local news reporters, anchors, and other others in the media field, local news specifically, and some national news folks to come on the podcast. So today we have a uh, great guest, uh, Josie Sturman, who's been a reporter for a number of years and uh, anchored as well. Uh, recently was even mentioned by Howard Stern, so uh, somebody that uh, is going to be very fun to talk to. Josie, welcome to uh, the Reporter Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm psyched to do this. Yeah, it should be, it should be a lot of fun to, uh, to chat today. So for people who might not know you or, or anything about your background, um, who do you work for now and, and where do you work? Tell us a little bit about your, your job at this, at this moment in time. At this moment in time, I do um, weekly, sometimes bi-weekly, enterprise and investigative segments um, under this banner called Spotlight on America for Sinclair Broadcast Group. We own more than 70 stations across the country, many of them um, in small markets, but we also own some larger markets, including Washington, D.C., Seattle, um, West Palm Beach, a uh, whole bunch of places, Baltimore. I can't believe I forgot Baltimore. But um, so I do uh, stories that have a national appeal. So it could be an investigative issue that starts in one city, but applies to many of the markets that we cover. So that's my job is to basically try to take issues that will relate to people, whether they're in Omaha or Seattle or DC, and try to make sure I can make compelling investigative or enterprise content out of it for everybody. Sure. Okay. And so if people wanted to see one of your reports, you know, on a daily basis, where would they, what kind of platform could they watch you on? Where would they find your reports? So our reports air within local newscasts. Um, so that's the, that's the fun part of our job is we never really know where something's going to air. So that's been the best part of the last I guess the last six months since I've been doing this enterprise, um, we never know. I work out of the Channel 7 WJLA newsroom in D.C., which is the ABC affiliate. So I know when their stories air because I'll turn around and see myself on television. But with everybody else, we never know. Uh, we know that the stories do air because we get a report afterwards and we can take a look at things. But um, we never know. Uh, so they air on everybody's newscast. It could be in the morning show. It could be at 11 p.m. Um, and then the stories also get syndicated to everybody's website. So they generate out of WJLA and then they're syndicated to everybody else. So they really do have a huge amount of reach. Um, it's millions of people that are getting to see it in the newscast that they watch every day. We're just kind of bundled in with the content that matters when they cover national news. That's usually the block that we're in. Okay. Okay. So this is uh, Sinclair Broadcasting. Yes. The affiliates across the country, every single one of them uh, airs our reports. And um, usually the one thing that we've been doing a lot lately is we've been really trying to, to harness sort of the power of all of those affiliates, not just in taking their story ideas or the stories that they've done really well uh, and trying to broaden them out. Um, but also trying to just let them know specifically, hey, the, the issues we're talking about today relate specifically to your market or have your people in them from your backyard. So we're trying to make the most out of the fact that we have 70 sets of reporters and anchors doing a lot of really, really great work that doesn't get national exposure unless it goes viral, unless it's something really crazy. Um, so we can tap into what they do and expand it and take the story ideas that they don't have the resources to do that we might um, and really just take that work and blow it up. And that's something I wish I could take credit for that. Um, it's, it's not my idea. It's something that other 
companies, including ABC and Scripps, have been doing for a long time and that we've really just started doing, um, and I hope we can get to do more of, where you just really try to tap into all these really smart, locally-based reporters who are doing awesome work and just kind of taking it to the next level. And that's really fun to see when they've got, you know, they've pulled a thread on something and we can take it even further. Yeah, that sounds that sounds uh, like a good system for, 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 you know, method of doing that. So there's, uh, there had been, um, you know, some controversy surrounding Sinclair, and I'm sure you get at, you've been asked about this. So, uh, you know, out in the field by somebody or, or friends or whatnot, you know, Sinclair ended up on, I think it was the John Oliver show. There's just questions sure. whether there were some, you know, editorializing of, of, or, you know, sort of forced editorials coming from management. What do you tell people whenever they inevitably kind of ask you about that? Because unfortunately, that kind of, uh, I guess, probably still sits with the Sinclair name a little bit even to today. Well, I think it sits with a lot of media brands. And I'm not going to say that that doesn't happen to us, but it does, of course. I think that the people generally have a lot of skepticism about media right now. um, And I think it's important to speak about that and talk about it because what we do, I find is very important. And I think that we play a crucial role in what happens. Um, For me, when those questions are asked, um, I ask people to look at our reporting. Um, I say to them, I've been doing this for 20 years. I've, I've honestly, I don't have a political bias one way or another. I'm registered independent. I've been a registered independent pretty much my entire life. Um, And I don't really care about politics that much um, in terms of how it informs my reporting. I generally just find that everybody's kind of messed up. I know that's a weird thing to say, but I find that the government on on both sides is just a mess. So to me, it doesn't really matter whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. It's whether or not you play a role in fixing a problem that I've uncovered. That's basically what we do. So whenever anyone wants to evaluate who I work for, the first thing that I remind them is that uh, the station that the, the pieces will be airing on Um, They're individual markets. They're the television news markets that you watch every day. And if you're a loyal viewer to them, it's because you like their people and you like their reporting and you like what they do and their approach. Yes, Sinclair has commentary. One thing I would like to point out that I find very frustrating is that when people talk about Sinclair has commentary and they bring up the person who does the commentary for the right side. We have the smartest, sharpest woman who does commentary on the opposite side. And yet no one mentions her in these articles. Their commentary is given equal time. It airs back to back. They respond to the same issues. And that I don't think has been brought up. Um, and yes, it is commentary. Do I agree with all of it? No, but it's commentary. I don't agree with it any more than um, I agree with it when I see it in the newspaper. So I wish people would acknowledge, um, first of all, that commentary exists on both sides of um, our business, right and left. Our company features people who do commentary on right and left. And I wish that was acknowledged because usually the reporting uh, on our company just mentions one side of it when there are two. Um, But for me personally, I just tell people, look at my reporting. Uh, There have been, especially right now, because I'm based in DC, I'm interviewing Republicans on stories. I'm interviewing Democrats on stories. 
I don't care which party they sit with. I want to know what the solution is. And if people can look at my reporting and decide for themselves what my politics are, then they must be better than me because I don't really care one way or another. I'm just going to highlight a problem. I want the people in power to speak to it and what they're going to do about it. So for me, you can evaluate my reporting. I've had these conversations uh, many times over the years, and sometimes people are going to like you. Sometimes they're not. I think the reporting is fair, straight, down the middle. And if you can look at everything that I've done over the 20 years and decide for yourself that I slay one way or another, good for you, then I guess we're not meant to have this conversation. But I think that uh, politicians, regardless of where they fall, have an obligation to talk to me. I don't care whether they're Democrat. I don't care whether they're a Republican. At the end of the day, I'm an American taxpayer and I pay their salary and I feel like they are obligated to speak to me regardless of what they think are my political biases that I'm 99% sure they're wrong about. I don't um, lean one way or another. My reporting certainly doesn't. And to be honest, I think that lots of reporters these days are being asked these questions, whether they work at MSNBC or whether they work at CNN, we're being discounted on one side or another. And I got to tell you, I just don't. I don't find that reporters are that calculating that they're trying to um, sway things in one direction or another. It's about getting the stories is what I find. And this idea that that the media, the fake news media, or, or however we're characterized, is a deliberate ploy that each of us every day in our phone calls and emails and our research are trying to sway stories one direction or, or another is laughable to me. Um, I think reporters are just like everybody else. We're trying to get our jobs done. We're trying to get the facts out. Um, and it's very difficult when people start to label you one way or another. I don't care whether you work at Sinclair Broadcast Group or whether you work at MSNBC or CNN. If someone wants to label you one way or another, all it does is make your job harder when you're just in there trying to do the right thing. Yeah, definitely a challenge for a lot of reporters across the country, regardless of where they work. I was at some of the... Uh... Donald Trump campaign rallies in 2016 and, you know, experienced that situation where uh, President, well, then candidate Trump, you know, says, everybody turn around and look at the back, you know, look at those risers. And, you know, he's pointing towards the media, which had us local reporters, CNN, Fox News, I think, everybody. And, you know, of course, says that whole thing of, you know, look at them. They're the liars. They lie. You know, and everyone started jeering at us. And it was a very, very large auditorium, you know, large, like, I forget what it was, but some uh, very gigantic auditorium. So it's a lot of people, you know, pointing and jeering at you. I mean, I don't know if I've ever had that many people in my entire life pointing at me in a like derogatory way, you know, making fun of me essentially. So you have to ha kind of have thick skin. And then it brings up this whole thing of like, you know, your natural reaction is almost to want to like retaliate. But essentially, you know, your, your creed as a journalist is, is to not do that whatsoever, is to continue to be completely unbiased. But there, there's, um, you it's know, to report the way you know how to report. But there, there's even some, you know, some, some debate. I mean, there's been, you know, articles and, um, you know, people saying that, uh, you know, journalists, quote, should go after Trump, you know, and should be looking into him. You know, you have like David Farenthold with the Washington Post. I mean, it feels like his his job is just to dig into Donald Trump's finances every day. So, but you know, then again, it is the president. So it's a very complicated uh, time right now. But um, one point I would hearken back to is that uh, you're right. I did not know that Sinclair also has commentary from, 
you know, somebody from the left as well and that it's back to back. I had no idea. So I think that's a really good it's point. It's very frustrating. Yes, it's very frustrating. And the person who does it is a very bright, uh, very sharp, uh, intelligent woman named Amisha Cross. And she's fiery. And I wish more people knew about her commentary and what she says. She gets equal time. Um, that may not have been the case in the beginning, but uh, for what it's worth, they now get they now get equal time. We have an equal player in the game of commentary, and I respect her for the fact that she goes out and comes at this with gusto as well. And I think that's something people should know. You can say what you want about the company. At the end of the day, I'm reporting for the people that watch. I'm reporting for the viewers. I have to be responsible no matter what. And um, I think the thing that gets me frustrated is I'll see, for me, when I see on Facebook people that I know who disparage the media as a whole, oh, man, that fires me up, something fierce, because I'll think to them, do you not know what I do Am I one of those people, you know, to you? Is that what you think, that I'm the evil media? Um, uh, and it's on both sides. People on the left and on the right both have this view of the media that is very kind of frightening um, that we're all the bad guy. And so when I see these posts on Facebook, um, I get really frustrated because I think it's, you want to put those people in a box, but I am those people. And the people who come to your kid's football game on Friday night and cover the highlights are those people. And the guy who does the weather for you and breaks in and tells you that there's a tornado warning, he is those people. So what exactly, who, who are the people that you think you're talking about? None of us are, are exactly as calculating and uh, dubious as they think. I just think it's an unfortunate time I think it's a it's a mixed bag. It's an unfortunate time to be a journalist in, tour in terms of you really have to fight against a lot of labels, a lot of unfair stereotypes, a lot of judgment about what you do. But at the same time, our role is more vital than it's ever been. Um, I think that's been shown. And I'm certainly getting people across the country informed about things they never talked about before. Um, I certainly wasn't as dialed into politics as I am now. It was just not an issue I covered. People cover politicians in D.C. very well. That was just never my beat or my interest. And now it's everyone's interest. So there's something to be said for journalism. Whichever outlet you're reading or watching, people are certainly paying attention a lot more than they did before. Yeah, it seems that seems to be that way for sure. I mean, the newspapers, even in uh, my my interview with uh, Noah Pransky from 2017, we were talking about how the Washington Post and the New York Times have had quite a, a resurgence since, um, you know, say like 2014 or something like that, whenever it sort of seemed like they were really uh, on life support. But, um, you know, you said you kind of uh, cover all parties equally, Democrat, Republican, but you know, I've watched your reporting, and as a as a proud member of the Tea Party, I feel like you've covered my party a lot less the last <laughs> year. Or so. I want more Tea I Party stories. I can't say I've really gotten much exposure to the Tea Party, but I would cover them. Um, you know, and a couple of years ago when I was working at Circa, which was a very millennial-focused outlet, and I apologize to any millennials who don't like when we use that, that label for the age group, but when it was a, definitely a younger-driven demographic, we were definitely looking at all of the smaller parties with greater interest and really trying to highlight a lot of um, the policies and 
uh, people who weren't getting as much coverage as everyone else. So it was an eye-opening experience for me as well. I'll do what I can to get the Tea Party into more stories. I promise. If, I, if I'm being unfair to them, <laughs> my apologies. Absolutely. Apology. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think it goes to, it speaks to, going back to what you were talking about seriously is, um, I think there's just a lack of media literacy in, in the country. And yesterday, I, for some, some people may know, I'm working for a school district now in, in Western Pennsylvania, a pretty, pretty rural school district. And we took a field trip to uh, a local college, uh, Point Park University, that has a uh, pretty new, uh, they call it a Center for Media Innovation, which is pretty cool. It's in downtown Pittsburgh. And they did a little bit of like a media literacy training with our students who are you know, ranging from... I think 16, 15 years old to, to 17 years old who were there and they really didn't, you know, if it was a test, I think they would have failed and I'm not trying to make them look bad, but it's more about just, so the questions were things such as, you know, what are, what are some things that make news news? You know, what makes something newsworthy or, you know, what's the difference? Is there a difference between information and news? And, you know, we definitely have some bright kids, but um, I think they just haven't had that training. But the point I'm trying to make is I'm not sure that, you know, whether you're talking about a 17-year-old or a 47-year-old in this country, I think there's a lot of people that just don't have, you know, what they call like strong media literacy skills. I think you're absolutely right. My own father, who is 80 years old, has no idea what I do for a living. And, uh, you know, we've been closely related for 43 years. So <laughs> if if people in my own family don't know what it takes for me to get a story together, um, how would the average American know what it takes? And I, I think it is important. Um, and I think it is uh, something that's very crucial to our roles right now, uh, especially when we're being labeled fake news or this narrative is out there that, that journalists on both sides are, uh, have an agenda. That's why I think it's more important than ever that our process is shown to people, that um, everything that you have is out in one way or another. Um, obviously, we're limited whether you work for the newspaper and you get a certain number of words in the article or in television, we only get a certain number of minutes for a story to be lots of things get put on the editing room floor as much as possible. I think it's, it's good. And where it's legal, where you can put it all out there. Um, so just kind of pull back the curtain and tell people how you got there, who you tried to talk to. Um, a lot of it is inside baseball to people like you and me, where we get all excited about the, you know, we tried to call this person 12 times and we couldn't hear, we never heard back from them, but we've documented that. That may never even get mentioned in the story, but I think it's important, especially when somebody wants to question uh, what side you came at this from. If if I've called, uh, you know, a lawmaker 12 times and they don't respond and I've called another lawmaker once and gotten an interview, I think that's an important part of the story if both of them have pull in what's happening so yeah, I, I, um, I agree with you 100 percent there i really really do and i but I've, I've been chastised over the years as you as you alluded to for for including that in a story you know in yeah, my, no one cares we're told that no one cares too long and the editor you know the the man news manager wants to cut them down by five minutes because my stories will be like eight minutes long but like the thing about it is okay so why do they want it to be shorter because the you know, I guess they have focus groups that have found that people have a short attention span of like two minutes. So there's definitely a balance, though, between like keeping it interesting, keeping their attention for two minutes versus including your entire process. So, I mean, how do you, you know, as briefly as possible, how, how, how would you say that you navigate that? Because for me, that's been a big challenge. I think a lot of reporters, 
like we definitely have that desire to tell our whole process and it probably helps people to be informed but it can it can run the risk of getting a little bogged down and, and boring and there's certainly a lot of news managers that don't want you know aren't going to approve yeah, they don't want it in there investigation so how do you deal with that do you just put it on the web maybe a lot of it ends up on the web um, because at the moment our stories run three minutes. That's all we're going to get. So we don't we don't have time to fit in so much of the important content. I think people need to know. Uh, so I do uh, try to make my investigations and enterprise stories online uh, much more robust, much more comprehensive. Pull back the curtain more. Show you the documents. Uh, upload them on Scribd. Add photos. Tell you who I tried to talk to. Um, that's something I've been doing. Um, since Baltimore, since, you know, 2007, when I started to work there, and uh, we had a web team at WMAR, the ABC affiliate, um, that was dedicated to making your investigations thing online. And that's where, you know, you just realize, this is an important part of what we do. Um, and you have to tell viewers as much as you possibly can fit into that time, but it's got to be a compelling story and all those things. And I'm, I'm not going to say that the web should be a dumping ground for a whole bunch of materials. You still have to edit, but the web is where you can really showcase everything you have. We, um, at Circa and um, still at Sinclair, we have a great manager whose name is Manny Fantas, and he has this philosophy about the web that he calls click it and stick it, where if you can get somebody onto your story, you've got to give them as many things as possible to have them stick around. And the amount of time people spend on your story makes a difference on the web. So, you know, we try to adopt as much as we can a click it and stick it strategy where I'm going to give you, you know, interactive timelines on the things I can supplemental video content. Um, I'm going to show you pictures. I'm going to upload documents, everything I can possibly put on the web to compel you to stick around and see what I didn't get to show you on air is going to go there. Right. For sure. All right. Well, let's, um, let's take a step backwards and, and get a little bit more just, you know, again, people uh, sort of acquainted with your career and we'll try to do this quickly. So if you could just kind of give me like the, the very quick rundown of, of um, kind of geographically, like, like where your career has taken you. So for example, like I know you went to Penn state university but then just tell me like where, where your first job was, you know, the call letters, where it was, second job, and, and just go run us all the way up to where you are now. I am geographically in the same area. I've never left a mid-Atlantic. I went I'm from Philly. I went to Penn State. I worked in local radio stations immediately after college, including WRSC uh, AM, WCOJ AM in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and then WINC, which is a huge station in D.C., and then I got into television, worked at uh, WHHE and NBC 25 at Hagerstown, WPMT Fox 43 in Harrisburg, WMAR ABC 2 in Baltimore, then WJLA ABC 7 in DC, and then I worked for Circa, and now I work for all of our affiliates. Great. Um, and what's the story behind your name, behind Josie, J-O-C-E? Is that, does that for <laughs> Jocelyn, if I have it right? And how did you start yes. by that? I, my name doesn't suit me. My full name doesn't suit me. It sounds like fancy. Someone who drinks tea and wears white gloves to do everything. That's just not my way. I've never been a Jocelyn. No one ever calls me that um, unless I'm being like summoned in the newsroom and, and they need me to pay attention. So it's just a name that, that fits, although it has been a name that's created 
problems. When I get FOIA requests back for information, they almost always say Mr. Sturman, which is funny. I get a lot of mail uh, addressed to Jose Sturman also. So uh, <laughs> it's, a name that, it's a name that definitely sticks out, but it hasn't been easy. No one can spell it and no one can say it. And even after I introduce myself, people will still call me by the wrong name, Joyce, Joss, Jose. They have no idea, but it's but fine. I'll answer to pretty much anything. Who, who first coined Josie though? Was that, was that a parent or was that yourself or a friend or? No, my dad. My dad started calling me Josie right away. It's in my baby book. Although at the beginning it had a Y. It was J-O-C-E-Y, short for Jocelyn, which I think may have made my life easier in the long run if they had stuck with that. But they had, you know, they're just, I'm the third child. They were lazy. So they were just, they dropped it. It seemed like too much work to keep the Y on there. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, so so that so you've been confused for a, a man before through uh, your yes. open records request, but also you were recently confused for a man sort of by the legendary Completely. Howard Stern. Howard Stern thought you were a man. Can you walk walk us through how that happened? I have to say, with the exception of the birth of my human child, being mentioned by Howard Stern, even if I was considered a man by my hero, was the most unbelievable moment of my entire life. So I'm a huge Howard Stern fan. Say what you want about him. Anyone who wants to be critical of Howard Stern right now and say uh, that he is vulgar, really, that's how I can tell you're not a fan. Howard Stern for the last couple of years has become a master interviewer, um, someone whose interviews and really his global and social commentary is thought-provoking and interesting. Yes, he still uh, makes fart jokes and does totally inappropriate things with the staffers on his show, but why I still listen is because he's doing amazing things in conversations with people that are really next level. Um, they create news almost every time uh, he's on the air with someone who is famous, um, and he really makes me think about things. So uh, Howard Stern is my hero, no doubt. Um, but uh, a couple days ago, they had a what I consider a legendary classic show um, where they were just messing with a staffer who appeared to be lying about something. And those are the moments where the Howard Stern show is really at its finest because this sort of misfit cast of characters that he surrounded himself with uh, have become almost like family to people who listen where you feel like you know them even though they're strangers so they were messing with him and I tweeted about it as I often do because I listen on my very lengthy commute to DC uh, every day I'm in the car at least 90 minutes if not you know two to three hours so I listen and I tweeted about the show and then the following day Howard was weighing in with all the commentary from from listeners and he happened to read my tweet and he said my name and first of all the i mean there's so many great moments in just this like 25 second clip he said my name he said investigative reporter josie sturman and one of the highlights is robin quiver robin quiver says who's that and i mean it was it blew my mind i was like yes oh my god this is amazing but then he said uh, he is an investigative reporter. He is this and had to be corrected by Gary Delabate uh, so that they would know I was a woman. And I don't care that they thought I was a man. It was still an amazing thing that blew up my Twitter, my Facebook, my phone for the better part of four hours the other day. So wow. I'll take it. That is awesome. I, I, I knew you were a big uh, Howard Stern fan. So that is, uh, that is very cool. Sometimes, you, you know, in, in life, uh, you you either meet your, your idols or they, or they mention you on the radio. So that's, uh, that's very exciting. 
that you uh, I'm never gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna dine out on that for years it was an amazing <laughs> amazing moment I know that uh you know just to be in the consciousness of something that you listened to for 25 years to to know that like just for a moment you were in that circle is an unbelievable thing your name came out of his mouth um you know it's funny because you know have you heard the term uh fanboy yes so, I mean, you are like clearly like a huge, you know, Howard Stern fangirl or fanboy. Yeah. And, but what I, it took me a while to realize this in life, but there's actually a, like a hierarchy of fanboys. And what I mean by that, <laughs> that there is. And, and so like, I'm a fanboy for like, I don't know, like pro athletes, you know, like NFL wide receivers and pro soccer players. And, you know, I don't know, some stand-up comedians, you know, whatever, like things that I like. But then there's people who are like fanboys for me. Like when I'm a TV reporter, well, when I was for 11 years and, and hopefully will be again, um, there were people who were fanboys for me. And I like almost found it hard to believe, you know, because it's just surreal. You're like, oh my God, this person thinks I'm really cool. Like they, they in some cases, want to be me. They, they want to meet me. And then it's like, but the people who I'm fanboys towards, you know, whether it's, let's just pretend it's LeBron James, like he's a fanboy of someone, of something, right? So it's sure. like this hierarchy of fanboys. And anyway, I mean, Howard Stern is up there, you know, towards the top of it, as is LeBron James. But, um, you know, you and I, we're on that hierarchy, though. We're, we're not at the bottom. I guess. I don't know. I mean, I think that's that's part of the charm and the allure of local news is that you feel like you know these people. Um, you know, I still watch local news. Um, I watch local news. I don't I don't watch cable news, really. Uh, at all, unless it's breaking news. But um, I still watch my local news affiliates, and I still feel like I know those people. So I get it. I mean, I've been in my own hometown, and I've seen my small town parade and seen the people I watch in the morning show in it. And I'm like, oh, there's so and so. I know them. How great. So I get it. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're in there somewhere. It feels weird. Um, but because I'm not affiliated anymore with, you know, one specific station, I don't get, I don't get recognized very much. The, the one story that I like to tell people is that um, I have a teenage son and he of course knows I'm on TV and his friends know as well. Um, but I was on TV one morning on a Sunday morning show talking to the ambassador to Syria, the former ambassador to Syria. And one of my son's classmates happened to see me on television doing this very lengthy and very serious interview. And he, he told his mom, oh, is that Cooper's mom? I didn't know she did stuff like that. Like, they have no idea. So he was like, I didn't know she talked about smart things. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Yep, I talk about smart things. Sometimes uh, not very intelligently, but I try. <laughs> I want to I want to get that on a uh, lower third for you at some point. Josie Sturman talks about smart things. Um, I didn't know she knew smart things. I didn't know she talked about smart things. Yes, that's uh, what I do. I don't know, you know. That is uh, that is pretty hilarious. That's what I'm reduced to. Talks about smart things. No, but I mean the the hierarchy of fanboys thing. You know, it's 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 not all about you know. I kind of finished that by saying, oh, we're on it. But like, I honestly think that everyone's on it because like, that's how hierarchies work. So even if you're like a really cool gym teacher or like the math teacher that everybody likes. Like, you know, there's someone who is a big fan of yours. And I think that's of part, part of yeah. life. Or if you're like, you know, that, that, that sanitation engineer, that janitor that says hi to everybody and, and, you know, has cool shoes yes. and someone out there who, who loves you, you know, wants to, so, I mean, I kind of like that aspect of, of my concept. So 
um, that everybody's important, you know, to somebody. So, um, but anyway, before we start crying here and get too deep, um, so why did you, why did you get into news to begin with? You said you started in radio and, and, and we'll try to keep everything brief so that we can get to a lot of topics for this, this last half hour. But, you know, why did you get into it? How did you get into it? And uh, yeah, go ahead with that, if you would. I thought news was interesting um, from a really young age. I shadowed somebody uh, at a newspaper when I was somewhere between 12 and 13. And then I worked on my high school's morning announcements. I just thought it looked like something that was fun. I never had a doubt that this would be an adventure. Um, I've got a lot of energy. I wake up like I was shot out of a cannon in the morning. So I needed a job and a career that was going to be entertaining and adventurous and uh, challenging. So for me, it was never a question. This is what I was going to do. I'm sort of a disappointment to my family that I didn't go to law school, but um, I would have been bored uh, doing that. So news to me has always been really interesting. I, I fangirled at the local news people. I grew up in Philly. So I wanted to do that. Even as an intern, um, I worked for a really uh, notable Philadelphia TV personality who did consumer investigative news, which ultimately is something I ended up doing for a really long time. I just loved it. I thought everything about it was so cool uh, because you got to see behind the scenes of how how the sausage was made. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. So to me, news has always been valuable. It's always been interesting. Um, you know, I came out of college like every person who comes out of college like we did and thought, I'm going to be an anchor. This is going to be so fun. But for me, anchoring isn't the thing. I like being out in the field. Um, I like walking the walk and getting out there and digging in and talking to people. Anchoring is cool. Anchoring is hard. Um, it's, it takes a lot more skill than anyone really realizes. And that's not my skill necessarily. I'd rather go dig and talk to people and get out of the building. So, yeah, yeah. Was, is there anyone, um, in brief, is there anyone who, uh, like who comes to mind immediately if I said like the person who gave you your big break or, or who like helped you? I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have helped you, but is there something like that one person you're like, oh my goodness, if it weren't for them, you know, taking this chance on me, I might not be where I am today. Well, I mean, I worked in, I sent out probably 50 demo tapes uh, right out of college to places I had no business sending to, but you don't know. I, there was no instruction manual for this. Um, so I didn't get a TV job right out of, of uh, college. I got uh, a couple of really hilarious uh, denial letters that basically like told me, who do you think you are? Which are amazing. And I wish I still had them. Um, Mark Cram at NBC 25 gave a ton of people in this business uh, their first jobs right out of college or when they were very young working in small markets. I mean, but they pay you no money and you do all of the work, but I'm grateful for that first opportunity. I'm grateful for all of them. I mean, I started doing investigative um, for my boss, Kelly Groft in Baltimore. I'd never done investigative before. She just said, you know, why don't you give this a try? I think it'd be something you'd be good at. And there you go. So everything's a break. Getting hired in D.C. Um, I got hired as a result of Chris Van Cleve, who's now a CBS correspondent, you know, going to bat for me and saying, this is somebody we need on the staff. So I think every step we take along the way is as a result of somebody who believed in you or saw what you were capable of. And I mean, there's not anyone along the way that didn't give me a shot. You know, I don't, I don't know that I would have gotten there without the assistance of other people. I think I'm a super hard worker, but um, I've gotten where I am today as a result of working really hard, making really strong connections, and just being 
uh, as earnest as I possibly can so that when push comes to shove and there's an opening, someone can vouch for you and say, you know, hire this woman. She will make it worth it. I promise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you think you'll ever, will you ever leave uh, the news industry? I don't think so. Um, I've thought a lot about wanting to teach uh, in the news industry. You and I are both uh, dialed into the investigative community a lot. Uh, the greatest joys in my career are talking about how we do what we do and trying to inspire people. Always love working with interns. I think they're awesome. Um, seeing, you know, that, that bright jewel of an intern come in that's as hungry for the details as you are is so cool. Um, so I love that when I can like find an intern who gets what we're doing and that is interested in it and wants to, wants to be part of the process. That's awesome. So for me, I've thought more about, you know, when I pass my prime, because television isn't always the kindest to women. Um, when I've reached that age where I'm no longer comfortable seeing myself in high definition, I think that I will try to pursue some way of being part of the process for the next generation of people, because I think they need that. I think, um, I was lucky enough to have some real great mentors, some at Penn State, some in my professional life. And I want to be one of those uh, for the next generation of people who want to do this. That's the best part. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, teaching can be really rewarding. Um, I think, as you know, I, I taught at yeah, uh, you did that. Quinnipiac University um, 2012 through 2014 uh, or 15 and uh, very rewarding. In fact, I think we know uh probably some of the same people actually through my experience there and through your um location in dc um you was tosin uh, an intern with you or tosin worked at channel seven with us and tosin is now um on my local affiliate that i watch every morning and there isn't a day that she's on where i don't scream out oh my god it's tosin and when I saw her, she's the person I was talking about, about the parade. Um, when she came through in this convertible at, at a St. Patrick's Day parade, I almost lost my mind because I was like, I can't believe it. So to see people that we've sort of, you know, even just contributed a tiny, tiny sliver to in their careers continue to succeed is so awesome. It makes me so proud. It makes me feel like a, you know, like a mama bear. I was um, one of our uh, Circa co-workers won her first Emmy this year, and I stormed the stage to take pictures like a stage mother. It was hilarious because I was just so elated to see all of these people win first-time Emmys, and it was embarrassing. Like, I'm not even close to being her mother, but it was hilarious because I was just so overjoyed for her that I acted like it. It was really funny. That is funny. Um, yeah, Tosin, I'm so happy for her and proud of her. Um, you know, I was... Uh, she was in my class at Quinnipiac in Hamden, Connecticut back in 2012. I think she was in the first class, the first uh, iteration, the first uh, group that I taught. They almost canceled the class because we only had four students. Uh -oh. So it was very small. Um, but yeah, it was like this small group on Saturday mornings for three hours and was giving uh, little like current events quizzes and just going over the fundamentals of uh, make, creating a news package, just, just the basics. And uh she had just so much energy and so much personality that I, I knew she was going to do something very successful. I think she had come into it from banking or something like that and decided like slightly later in life that she wanted to, you know, had always wanted to be on TV and be a journalist and uh, kind of decided to switch gears and, and follow her passion. But yeah, no, she's done an amazing job and I'm so excited for her. Um, would love to catch up with her at some point. But um, in fact, she was nominated. You know, there are, 
Yes, for an Emmy. Yes. I'm nominated for an Emmy. Know, so very exciting. You know, in this business, there are there are some people who are just stars. You know, you know what I mean? Like in our business, some of them make it really, really far. Um, and you just knew from the beginning, this person is a star. Tosin have that, has that sparkle. A, a woman I worked with at Circuit named Kay Angram has that sparkle where you just meet them. You haven't even seen their work yet, but you just know they have that it factor. And that is awesome. Uh, I didn't have that. <laughs> so, you know, like some people just have the thing that makes them someone you want to watch, uh, at least in our business, on television. Because right. what they do and their personality energy they bring is just you know, it's addictive. You want to watch them. Uh, you watch them do anything. So that's, that's a very cool thing. And it's fun to see those people succeed because you just knew from the beginning and yeah. you start to tell everyone, I told you they'd be a star. Right. Yeah. No, I love, you know, taking credit, but I, I can't, you know, but I, I try to, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, actually I totally agree with you on that. And, and some people have accused me of being like humble or something, but I try to be honest and like, I totally agree. I've, I've always thought there's three categories in, in broadcast news, you know, for reporters and anchors. And I think there's like people who are just flat out naturals. Like they're just born with it. They have that yes. personality. They, they don't even have to try. They're not even like putting on a face or a personality. They're just being themselves. And I've never felt that I'm one of those people. I think the second category is people who kind of fake it and people who've taught themselves to emulate the naturals. And that's the category I've put myself into um, and then I think the third category are people who just can't do it. People who just aren't good or, you know, um, just, you know, or and sometimes people recognize that and just don't get into the business. But I, I really just think there's those, I've always felt there's those three categories and it's kind of like tier one, tier two and, and, and tier three. But, um, yeah, who am I? I don't know. I don't know. I think there's a fourth. I think there's a fourth that I would, I would argue you fall into and I fall into, which is we're just going to beat your ass with hard work. You know what I mean? Like we're going to make the work something you can't live without. Um, you know, I don't believe that I'm on television because I'm a stunning beauty. I know that's not the case. I'm, I'm on TV because I will kick everyone's butt at a story and I will work until I can do that. So after a while you, you become sort of like invaluable, like, Oh, well, this person is just going to do the work. Uh, and they are going to be super competitive. So I think that that's a factor too, where you're not, and that's not to discount people who are attractive in our business. Uh, you know, everybody gets there in different ways. And that doesn't mean the people who are attractive don't work hard. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I do think that there is a category of people who just uh, live for the work and they don't care that it's a, that it's a business they have to be seen in. I got to be honest, the vanity of our business is something I struggle with the most. Uh, I, I don't really want to be on television. I really hate that part of it. Um, I don't like doing my hair. I don't like doing my wake, my makeup, all of that stuff. I hate it so much. But I also don't want to be a newspaper reporter because they have to work so much harder than we do. They, they have to work very hard and they get one-tenth of the credit, which I always yes. felt bad about. But I, it also told me that I just, I, I, my ego is too big. My, I just can't handle that, the lack of credit. So. And I'm just not smart enough. I'm just not smart enough to be a newspaper reporter. I mean, I can, I can fake my way through it, I think, on television. But the newspaper reporters I know are just supreme intellectuals whose brains blow my freaking mind. No, so I, I completely I'm, agree. I'm not at that level. No, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I'm in the same boat as you on that. Um, but they're, they're amazing people. And I always enjoy getting to know them at, at scenes and forming relationships with them. And I have the utmost uh, respect for them. And they're very, very smart people by and large. Um, 
I would say who are, who are definitely smarter than me in, in, in the majority of cases. Um, yeah, but uh, I agree with you, you know, about, and I think the hard work point is very true. I guess my little goofy three category thing refers more so to just like the, the on-air persona, maybe not like the whole sure. kitten caboodle, but um, when you talk about like the full uh, holistic thing of being a reporter, or being an anchor, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I've, I know personally, I've always prided myself on, on being the hardest worker in the room. Um, and you know, I've always told people I'll knock on a hundred doors. If I, if I literally have to knock on a hundred doors to get that, that interview, I will be the guy that does that. And the other people will go back to their news van and start eating lunch or whatever, but I will. <laughs> and, and I've actually knocked on 47 doors one time in the rain to get, to get a one interview, man on the street interview. So anyway, but uh, enough bragging about my weird work ethic in the rain. Um, <laughs> what, what would you say is the, uh, the biggest, and this is probably going to be a difficult question, but I'm going to force you to answer, give one answer. What is the biggest story you've ever covered? Uh, biggest story, I mean, the most important story we've ever covered was these uh, government experiments that were done to people in Guatemala. That's the story I think I've put the most work into, that I'm most proud of, um, that I think deserves a lot more attention than it got. I mean, over time, they all start to run together. I mean, I'm not David Fahrenheit at the Washington Post. I haven't broken uh, some gigantic newsworthy thing that every outlet in America had to cover. <laughs> but uh, I'm proud of the work that I've done. I, I do think Guatemala and what we did for that project was was pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. And you, you traveled down there for that for that report. And uh, in, in like, what's the elevator, you know, pitch description of, of what that story was about for those who aren't familiar with it? Basically, the government um, did uh, unauthorized testing of sexually transmitted diseases on people in Guatemala who were prisoners, who were mental patients, who were orphans. They gave them STDs without their permission, consent, or even their knowledge. And then we just swooped the heck out. We didn't give them any treatments. We just left them all alone. And, you know, generations later now in 2019, their children and grandchildren have passed on those STDs. So generations later here, we still have all these people who were impacted by our government, which uh, did secret experiments that were exposed at one point and we did nothing about it. That is so messed up. Now did that, what, what were there any um, ripple effects after that report? Like, did it go national? Was it, I mean, I guess it already was a national report because it was when you were working for Circa, I believe, but I mean, did it get picked up by anyone else or any, any uh, ripple effects? No, that's the thing that's shocking. The story itself had been out there. The fact that these experiments existed had been out there, but no one had covered it uh, in total depth, like looking at the knowledge of what was done. And the new angle that we took was, um, you know, after all of this had happened, uh, it, it mirrored, it is not exact, but it mirrored the Tuskegee experiments that were done in the States. Uh, by the same doctors, and there have been efforts to make right the damage that we did in that community and to discuss the ethics of that. Um, and so the, the angle we sort of took on this was, what did America do to try, try to right the wrong here? And what we discovered was we had made promises and agreements to give funding, to um, build a hospital, to do some treatments, to try to do some outreach, and we found out none of that was ever done. Uh, the United States did eventually agree to give them money, uh, but um, 
it was never transferred. So we don't even know exactly why that happened. And to me, that's really devastating to be, to leave a report with open-ended questions that we couldn't answer uh, is very difficult. Okay. Um, yeah, sometimes that can be surprising when things, you kind of think like, oh my God, this is going to go viral and then it just doesn't. And then other times, you know, you think something is just kind of your, your ho-hum story and then it does go viral. You just, oh, it's yeah. hard to predict. Um, who's the most famous person you've ever interviewed? Most famous person. Um, who is the most famous person I've ever interviewed? My God. Well, I'm sure I've interviewed some celebrities along the way, although I'm blanking on them. Um, I have been in situations with the uh, president. Wow, that sounded really weird. I have been in um, like media availability with the president, but it's, I've never one-on-one. -on -one. I think that would be really cool. Uh, it wouldn't matter to me who the president was. That's just a really big deal. I don't know that I've interviewed anybody all that famous uh because that's just not my thing um you know you i'm the, more like the, the syrian ambassador to syria or something i don't know is he famous i mean he's certainly amazing but is he famous i don't know i don't know that anyone in when i was interviewing him i don't think anyone uh that was you know part of the outside of the story really knew who he was unless you travel in those circles and understand i mean this guy was a big deal obviously in in the world diplomacy but um I didn't know him before that. So is that the gauge of whether or not he's famous? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Um, all right. Um, what are your thoughts in brief on the, it's kind of, it's kind of died down a bit, but you know, as a female journalist and you kind of had a, you know, a little joke there accidental about, you know, being in a situation with the president, but um you're, you're like a pretty skeptical person, a pretty cynical person in some, not in a bad way, but in a good way. But, you know, what, it, what, is your, what are your general thoughts on, on sort of the Me Too movement? Because it, it was really big there for a while and it's kind of died down. But, um, you know, do, do, you, do you just, you know, Aziz Ansari was caught up in it. Everyone from Harvey Weinstein, who was recently mentioned again. And um, I mean, have you had any issues like that in your career that you've had to navigate or deal with? And, you know, as a skeptical journalist, do you, do you, do you believe every, every woman that comes out or, or, or do you, you know, how do you handle that? Well, uh, as a woman in this business, first and foremost, I don't know a woman in this business that hasn't experienced something that made them at least at the very least super uncomfortable. Um, I think women, I'm going to sound super radical feminist right here, but, uh, you know, I read Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, and uh, it really spoke to me. This is a number of years ago. I really feel like it doesn't matter where I've worked. This is not unique to one company or another. Women have an uphill battle to be taken seriously uh, in our business specifically because it's something where uh, women are sort of viewed as just like these pretty things that read the news and um, that is not the case. So women I often find in our business are discounted. Um, and it, I think what happens with sexual harassment and what happens where women are taken advantage of is very real. Um, even though I have not had very many experiences on that front, um, 
I do know women who have, and the experiences they've had are, are valid and should be listened to. And there is a reason why many of them haven't spoken up. And it's because it's so difficult to be taken seriously, to be considered credible in this business as a woman, that anything that challenges that for you just makes life harder. So I think there are many women who don't speak up about their experiences. And that makes me profoundly sad. And I understand why they don't. Um, I find it hard at times to be a woman in this business because uh, there's this idea that I'm supposed to be a pit bull in what I do for a living. Uh, and, you know, I, I try my best, but there are, the idea that I can't be a pit bull all the time is frustrating to me. So when I, when I am my professional self, um, it's acceptable, but when I have to negotiate or when I voice concerns about what happens in the, in the workplace, um, that same thing that makes me a respected member of the professional staff is a detriment. Um, you can be labeled a bitch. You can be labeled difficult. And that to me is really hard to swallow. Um, especially as a woman in this business, if you want me to be a certain way in my professional life, then you've got to respect when I'm going to come to the table with those exact same strengths and personality traits, no matter what's happening. If I see something unjust happening, I don't care if it's where I work or for a story, I'm gonna say something about it. And to be labeled a bitch or difficult because of that is really tough. And I don't, I don't enjoy that part of our business, but it is very real. As far as Me Too goes, uh, I just finished reading Ronan Farrow's book, Catch and Kill. Uh, so I felt, I feel outraged all over again. Uh, for women who have to be subjected to things that get, you know, brushed under the rug uh, because the men involved are much higher value to companies. Uh, so I, do I believe every woman that comes forward? No. Uh, I think every woman's story, if they've come forward, needs to be evaluated. Uh, but I think that women who do speak out are doing so at uh, a tremendous risk that to me says the the odds that they're making it up are probably really, really slim because what it takes to come forward has got to be such an emotionally difficult process. Right. I don't I don't believe 100% of people about anything. So I'm not right. going to say, oh, yes, everyone who comes forward about everything is true. <laughs> That's not the way the world works. But I do know that as a woman, uh, women who come forward with those types of stories, what do they gain by coming forward at any time other than complete and total scrutiny, uh, upheaval of their entire lives. Why would somebody, you know, choose to do that to themselves? So, um, no, I don't believe everyone all the time. I think that's a ludicrous idea, but I got to give credit to anyone who is willing to take the level of scrutiny and criticism and vitriol that comes at them when they do speak up. I just don't see that it's likely someone would do that unless something legitimately happened to them. It's just, there's so much at stake. Sure. Absolutely. A very good answer there. Um, so uh, we'll switch gears a little bit and uh, do a couple more long, you know, longer form answers, um, one or two more, and then we'll just uh, want to be mindful of your time. So we'll uh, wrap up with some rapid fire questions. Um, yeah, get ready. So um, the, the last kind of uh, longer form answer and, and, and we'll keep it brief, but um, you know, young reporters or people who are in college who are thinking about getting into broadcast journalism, whether it's reporting, anchoring, whatever, um, what advice would you give to them as someone who's been doing this for 20 years? I mean, some kids may wonder, is it still worth it? You know, should I hurry up mm. and, you know, call an audible and, and get into banking or, you know, cryptocurrency or something else? Um, 
you know, what would you say if you had two minutes to talk to a young reporter and counsel them? All I know, all I can say of the successful people I know in this business and from my own experience is that if you, if you want to go down this road, whether it's television, radio, uh, the internet, the newspaper, whatever route you want to go in news, if you do want to go down this path, you've got to want it because the, the landscape is constantly changing. The demands are harder. What, what's going to be asked of you is different. Um, and at the end of the day, if you don't want it, it's, it's so difficult. It's not a job that pays a lot at the very beginning. It requires a lot of you. As you know, uh, you might have to move far away from your family. You're not going to make a lot of money. You'll work Christmas Day. So that's the first thing I tell people is if, if you're going to go down this road, you've got to want it. And um, it's going to be harder and harder to um, to make the dream happen. But if you do, it's worth everything. I mean, it's the most rewarding thing. You get to meet new people every day whose stories will inspire and outrage and, uh, you know, also make you laugh. So it's an adventure to me that seems very worthwhile, but you have to want it. If you're, you can't half-ass into this business. There's no point, uh, and you'll quickly depart if that's the way you go into it. You've got to have the passion, the drive, and the fire to want to be part of it. And if you feel wishy-washy as you're going through college about it, don't even go this way because it's, it's not going to be rewarding to you. But anybody who feels any sort of drive in this direction, go towards it. It will entertain you, uh, outrage you, um, and just be an, an incredible amount of fun and a rewarding experience if you do. Right. And then if it doesn't work out, you can always go back to law school. Yes. You know, you could always go to law school, which I'm now considering at this age, which is insane. But Maybe when I retire, I'll go to law school. I mean, maybe I I think about it. I think about the things I'd like to know about the law. Um, (laughs) I'd like to be an attorney who who defends the kind of work that we do. That to me seems like a really noble way to approach things. Um, I love the idea of being part of the investigative journalism process, but the person who can stand up and say, like, I've got this question, I can help you bulletproof this, this is what you need to answer, Um, and being part of that. And defending journalists, to me, seems like a really noble pursuit right now. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm also thinking about law school, and it just cracks me up because there's so many reporters who I think have that in the back of their mind, at least that's my uh, interpretation of it. And, I mean, in fact, I think we know some who have – gone to law school and even become a lawyer and then gone back to reporting. And, you know, there's just so much overlap, I think, in those two careers, or at least reporters think there is. I'm not sure that there really is, but it's just such a like similar thinking discipline that I think it, sure. it really recruits the same type of person. Like uh, Jessica Schneider is who I'm thinking of, right? Who she yes. uh, went, went was a, was a reporter and then a lawyer and then is now a reporter for CNN. So. I mean, God love those people. I just, I, I value sleep and I don't know how in the world I would do it. So I, I think about it now as a retirement goal. You know, once yeah. my son goes to college and, and um, I'm not commuting 90 miles each way, maybe I'll think about law school. And also it's expensive, but I, I love the idea of it. And I applaud anyone who goes that route. I think it's very smart. Uh, it's just, dang. Yeah. No, Ooh, some people have, they, they must I don't know. They must be on Red Bull 24 hours a day because I don't even know how to sleep at that amount. The Red Bull IV. Um, yeah. So, um, no, it's, it's definitely an interesting option for people and um, for sure. So, um, there's also, yeah, I'm thinking there's two others who are pretty notable in my life who, I, who I've encountered. And one is uh, Todd Pyro, who I worked with in Connecticut. And then he's now on uh, Fox News National 
um, has a law degree, I think, from UCLA. And then uh, Julie Grant was uh, in Pittsburgh. And at one point, she was uh, an assistant DA in, in Pittsburgh, I believe, or maybe it was Steubenville, Ohio. And then she got back into news. And then now she's on the new, newly relaunched uh, Court TV channel, which they brought it back. Mm. They brought it back from the 90s into the... Uh, well, listen, it's riveting. It's riveting. Savannah Guthrie did the same thing. So there you go. There you go. Boom. Um, but there's a lot of pathways. And that's one thing we know for sure is that, you know, to get into news and, and to have success. So that's, that's part of the beauty of it. So um, I got to say, our, our uh, former corporate counsel was a Baltimore Sun reporter who became uh, an attorney and then it began to do First Amendment work. And I said to him, I'm thinking about going to law school. I think I want to do what you do. And he said, don't do it. <laughs> Yeah, no. It's, so he was like, "It's a lot of work." Yeah, well, so is anything worth doing. So I, I always say that. Absolutely. To people, but but um, all right. Well, all right. So the last bit of uh, long form question, but but let's do a brief answer. Is you know you kind of already alluded to this with the last question, but you know what is what is the future of news like local TV mm. reporting? I mean, it it seems to be. Mm on the downslope? I mean, is it going to continue, but just online? Is it going to be like an on-demand format where you're just like scrolling with your Apple TV remote and you just, you know, tap a button and, and is it like going to be, you know, a la carte stories or how do you see the future of local TV news? Oh boy. Wish I knew. Are we all wishing we were fortune tellers right now, specifically the people who own our companies? And I, I honestly don't know. I think that there is a place for storytelling and investigative journalism because it doesn't matter what platform it's on. Uh, you know, if 60 Minutes has an amazing piece, I'll watch it there. If the New York Times has an amazing piece, I'll read it there. If Vice does something amazing, I'll watch it on HBO. Um, you know, so I don't know who's going to win out in all of these um, it's at the end of the day, it comes down to money, whether people can find a way to fund these projects and whether someone can profit from them. And that's, that's a dangerous thing for all of us in journalism uh, is at the end of the day, we all have to work for companies for the most part. Uh, this industry is companies that make money doing lots of things. And that, that does make for some, some kind of perilous territory every now and then. Because if they can't make a lot of money doing it, you know, the decisions will be made for business-wise. But you totally have to understand. So I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I'm, I'm a local news watcher. I'm a national news watcher. Uh, but in, I'm getting most of my news from social media. And I don't know if that's typical of, of every American. I think, I don't know. I wish I had a crystal ball because then I would direct my a career in that direction, but I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen next. I just try to tell the best stories that I can, uh, hope that they're seen and received well and that people know that we're trying to shine lights in dark places and that we're valuable. Where that happens, where that work happens, I don't even know. Sure. Um, what's crazy to think, and I just this idea just came to my head right now, and it's, it, it is kind of insane, but like, what if there was something that's invented in, in the next 10 years that we can't even predict right now. And what I mean by that is like, sure. let's, say, let's say you're sitting there in 1978 and you were a reporter and you had no idea that the internet was going to be concocted and it would revolutionize life as we know it, business, media, entertainment. And, and in 1978, other, unless you were like inside the government or something, you, you probably had no idea that this was coming down the pipeline um, theoretically, there could be something like that that we literally haven't heard of. It could be called 
you know, the black hole or the, you know, the window. Maybe that's what the nickname will be, you know, because the internet was nicknamed like the web, the World Wide Web. Um, that's kind of crazy to think about, actually. But, we have no idea what's coming, but there are innovators. I mean, I know even within my own company, there are innovations that happen that I can't even wrap my head around what they're doing or where it goes next. And imagine that, but spread across the country with all of these bright minds in media and what might be possible in 10 years. It could change the face of this. Look at what Facebook has done to change things. Look at what, um, you know, even just the platforms that uh, actors and actresses would use before they would never be on anything. But now Netflix is the driver of content. Amazon Prime, you can watch content there. So it's no longer about the networks and the big studios. There's lots of venues for that. And I think that I hope that will likely be true for journalism as well, that people will innovate and find new ways to do it. Uh, and that those things, those innovations will be supported and received so that they can be a home for the kind of work that you and I and all of our colleagues do. Great. All right, well, this brings us to the exciting part is the rapid fire question session. So the rules are that you have to try to answer as short as possible. Keep your answer very short, um, preferably, okay. preferably a yes or no or a one word answer. And we, we keep it moving uh, pretty quickly. So um, here we go. Without further ado. I'm scared. I'm scared. Oh, okay. yeah. Here we go. So uh, what is something that you carry with you every day as a reporter that you see as fairly indispensable but might surprise some people? Uh, toilet paper. You, you have that with you in your purse or, or whatnot? Yes, always, okay. because you never know when you're going to be stuck somewhere. All right, that's a great answer. Um, what TV show are you streaming right now or recently? Oh, God. You know, Netflix, Amazon my... Prime, whatever you use as your... Fleabag. I just started watching Fleabag and I can't stop. Is that like a dog show or what? <laughs> no, no, no. It's a brilliant show written by a British woman. Go watch Ooh. it. It's amazing. Where, where can I find that? Uh, I believe it's, oh God, is it on Netflix? It's on one of the, one of the streaming okay. platforms, but I'm blanking right now which one. All right. One of, one of the things. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's on the things, you know, the things. Yeah. I just thought <laughs> of, uh, have you seen Catastrophe? No. I think you need There's to check that one out. There's too many things to see. I need to not work to be able to catch up on all of this. It's very overwhelming. Okay. What is your favorite uh, podcast or XM radio show? Uh, XM radio show, Howard. No question. Okay. If we rule that one out, what's your favorite podcast? We'll say that. Oh. Your stumps uh, just say reporter. Uh, yes, reporter. Thank you. I yes, can't believe so. I even stopped. Well, there was only one episode before, so it could, really, could it really be my favorite? It's now my favorite. <laughs> It's now your favorite. All right. Um, but you're on it. So that, you know, it's gotta be your favorite. All right. Um, Facebook, has it been good or bad for news as a whole? Bad. What is one thing you believe in that most other people would say is crazy? Hmm. Or, or that you believe one thing you believe? Oh my God. So for me, you can, stall, you can stall for a second. For me, my answer is usually that I am totally okay with ATM fees, which most people hate, but I actually <laughs> am crazy enough to think, I think they're fine because I think otherwise I'd have to literally carry a sack of my own money with me all over the world in like a burlap bag. And it would be very dangerous. I'd probably get mugged and some of it. So to charge me like $2 to access my money from Hong Kong or anywhere in the world, I think is actually a great deal. 
So that's my answer, you know, but most people would say I'm insane for, for liking, I don't like ATM fees, but I think they're fair. So. Uh, I think it's perfectly acceptable to eat whipped cream as its own item and that it doesn't require anything underneath it. My, my belief is that whipped cream is not just a topping. Oh, okay. That's a good answer. Um, if you could have a billboard uh, on the most highly traveled road in D.C., New York, Chicago, and L.A., and you could put anything on it, it could be a picture, it could be a message, a statement, uh, for any purpose, what, what, would you, what, would you put on, what would you have on those billboards? Uh, right now, I'm sorry, I'm just really into our sports team, so uh, it would likely be Penn State related. Penn State, you know, go mm -hmm. Penn State, or we are Penn State. Something State. like that, or like something about it being uh, underrated and always not undervalued as a football team. But, you know, that'll be decided later on. But it, right now, I have to feel like it would be something Penn State related because I'm just really feeling our team at the moment. Okay, cool. Um, so that actually, I'll just skip ahead to another question that I had on the list then, which relates to your answer. And uh, that question is, will Penn State football make it to the national championship game this season? Yes or no? I really hope so. I don't, I'm going to say yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> all right. Um, I hope that occurs. Um, all right. So this one, I have to kind of explain it before I ask it. Um, you're going to say Josie is the blank of journalism. And so like, this is kind of like who you aspire to be, but it's like a character comparison. So for example, like I would say Bo is the Jason Bourne of journalism. I just like that he's, <laughs> he's quick and he's like sort of moderately handsome. So um, Josie is the blank of journalism. Who would you compare yourself to that's like a fictional character? Oh, fictional character who's sort of a mess. Oh, this happened the other day and somebody told me who I was and now I don't remember. Oh my God. Uh. Sorry, we'll come, we'll come back to that one. Come back to it. Think about it. Let me think about it for a minute. All right. Do you want to, do you need a lifeline? No, wait, I didn't hear what you said. You just went blank for like 30 seconds. Oh, uh-oh. Um, I was just being quiet. I did. I, my dog started barking and I thought you were, <laughs> I thought you were uh, thinking of your answer. You, no, you I felt the phone. <laughs> wait, did you say an answer? No, I didn't say an answer because I was still thinking. I thought you said we'd come back to it and then I yeah. thought the phone went dead. Oh, I no, I, then you, then you were like, I thought you said, hold on, I'm, I'm, I'm still... Uh, I'm still thinking. All right. So we will come back to it. Um, who is your favorite stand-up comedian right now? Oh, God. It would, uh, who did I, well, I mean, it can be your, it could, I mean, George Carlin is fine. Like, if that's your all-time favorite, you know, just like in your life, like if you, if you could only listen to, you know, one hour of stand-up comedy, who would you pick? That Dave Chappelle, he is pretty genius, and that last special is pretty good. My side note would be Amy Schumer. She always makes me laugh. It's, it's a different kind of humor. Dave Chappelle makes me think Amy Schumer just makes me laugh. Got it. Um, what is the best movie about journalism of all time? Oh, best movie, uh, Broadcast News. Okay. Um, if you haven't seen it, you have to go see it. I think I've seen clips from it. Yeah, so I, sh I should probably go back and, and watch the whole thing. Um, and what is... Uh, 
what is your favorite way to work out? Like your favorite workout? I used to run, but my knees have gone bad. So I would say running, biking, walking, or playing tennis. Okay. How good are you at tennis? I'm pretty good. I'm competitive. I, I will work people over. I'm not the best tennis player by any stretch of the imagination, but I will outlast people and I will just be that person that gets the ugliest shots back and just keeps the point going. So I'll just wear you down over time. That's really my strategy. I'm, I'm actually literally the exact, like that's word for word describes my tennis abilities as well. Um, you're probably better than me, but I, I'm the exact same thing. I just like run this around. This is a like, challenge. Like a crazy this person. This is a challenge do like weird shots and, you know, just outwork them. And, and yeah, so, oh goodness, the perils of uh, podcasting at home or animal, animal interruptions. Uh, so, okay. Well, all right. What well, the last thing is, have you come up with an answer for uh, Josie is the, Jesus, Benny, Josie is the, uh, the blank of journalism. I know I'm going to, I know I'm going to hate myself for not remembering this answer, but someone told me who I was the other day and now I can't even remember, but I don't know. All that keeps popping in my mind is that um, everyone in the newsroom calls me an ostrich because I'm, I'm, whenever something happens in the newsroom and I run around, they said I look like an ostrich. So I'm the ostrich of journalism. I don't know. I can't think of the famous person or the character that I'm related, uh, that I'm thinking of. And it's going to hit me like five minutes from now when I go downstairs to do something else. And it's really going to bother me. <laughs> All right. Well, that actually, that actually works. The ostrich of uh, journalism. And, and whenever you think of the answer, you can let me know and we'll put it in the show notes, which are going to be um, <laughs> included somewhere. So we'll, we'll link to that and, and figure that out. We're also going to also link to your Guatemala story and figure out. And link to Amisha Cross's commentary, please. It's fire. I will send you links to it. Wait, to, to what? To Amisha Cross, our uh, the other person who oh, does yeah, commentary yeah. for our company. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you'll have to get me that uh, link to that, but uh, we'll definitely definitely include that as well. So uh, we'll have a lot of stuff in the show notes, things that we've discussed, a few things that uh, people might need to be directed towards so that they can find those items easily. Um, yeah, so I think that'll do it for um, this episode of Reporter. Um, hopefully, people don't. Um, the, the vows are taken out of the, the, the title of this podcast. So hopefully people don't, uh, confuse it for repeater or something like that. But, um, it is indeed, uh, I'd like to hope they're brighter than that, but who knows? I hope so. Um, but it is reporter and, um, it, uh, we're also going to be talking to, uh, anchors and, and other folks as well, probably eventually some newspaper reporters and, um, hopefully we get some of our, uh, other national, uh, TV uh, friends on here as well. So we'll, we'll see what uh, comes down the road, but thanks so much for uh, your time on the podcast today. And uh, hopefully you, you enjoyed our conversation and. Uh, oh, as always, I regret uh, ever opening my mouth, but this was awesome. <laughs> All right. Yeah. We'll hopefully have you on again at some point in the future. And uh, yeah, Josie Sturman. So if uh, one last thing, if people want to uh, contact you or find you on, on social media, where, where are the best places to uh, get in touch with you or to uh, find you? Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram as at Josie from the news, J-O-C-E from the news. And every time I have to give that to someone, they're like, oh, are you on the news? Um, yes. That's why it's in my name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Okay. Well, um, yeah, that is, that is, that did not have the effect that you thought it would, you know, the explanatory. No, I thought it was pretty self-explanatory, but it really does baffle people. 
Yes, things are always more confusing than they seem. Um, all right, well, thanks again. And uh, everybody, have a good day. That, that'll do it for the, uh, the Reporter Podcast, this latest episode. Uh, make sure you guys uh, listen to uh, prior episodes, Noah Pransky, um, a lot of good stuff. And uh, you can uh, subscribe. And uh, please share the podcast as well with friends who are in the, uh, the journalism industry or even uh, people who might be fans of, of uh, Josie and would like to hear some of her behind the scenes uh, commentary, personal stuff. All right, that'll do it.